Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure, a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. I am your host Julie and each Thursday we are having conversations with guests on different themes and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view and learn in a non-judgmental way. Before we begin, I would like to ask you for a favor. You can find The Bubbling Adventure in two categories for the podcast's awards. One is the people's choice and the other is education. So it would mean so, so much if you can take two minutes of your time and vote for me. I will leave all the details and link in the description box, so it's very easy. Thank you so much for your support. In today's episode, we are talking about foster families with Phil. Phil is a former head teacher who became a foster dad a few years ago. He shares his experience, help us understand the process to become a foster parent, the importance of having a steady routine, and the hopes that he has for foster families in the UK. I hope you will enjoy this episode. You can also find us on Instagram at The Bubbling Adventure for daily positive education content. But now that it's said and you all went and subscribed, let's begin. Hi Phil, how are you today? Hi Julie, I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's, the weather's a little bit better than yesterday, so yes, it's, uh, it's, very, uh, it's lovely <laughs> to meet you as well. What a great month of July. Um, but yeah, so today we're going to talk about fostering as your foster dad. But before we jump in, could you please introduce yourself? Um, my name is Phil Sharrick. I'm uh, married to my wife, Kuldip. We've been fostering for about four years. Prior to that, I was a, a head teacher. I used to run around the country fixing schools that were in a mess, <laughs> getting them into a, a better place, into a more stable uh, place. Uh, my wife is a teacher. I have um, two children from a previous relationship um, who are 18 and 16, who come over here really regularly and uh, mix with the family and, and do everything else. So at present, we have a eight-year-old little boy who is a long-term placement for us um, through till when he's 18 and hopefully staying put. And we have a 15-year-old young lady who has been with us for just over a year, uh, and a year and 
five months and, and she is hopefully going to be a long-term placement through to when she's hits that magical 18 years old as well so um that's that's me briefly in a nutshell nice and so before we really get into the subjects could you tell me what is your definition of like being a foster dad i i would view it very much as being an extension of being a biological dad it's it, it's not to me it's not really made it, 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 though these children come to you and you, you I, i treat them very much as i would my own children but you have to be acutely aware that these children have been through experiences that you wouldn't wish on your children so uh, the, the hope is that when these ch- you, you you know that these children are going to be coming to you that, that you are given as much information as possible so that you can provide an environment that is going to be right for them and, and, and enable them to to settle with you and and have a good time while they're here and and get some feel valued and loved and important and secure and, and safe and you know that, that doesn't always happen but um you know I, I see them I see them as my own kids really and look at look after them in that way to make sure that they're protected and they've got everything that they could possibly need uh, and want and until they're ready to either move on or go to a more permanent placement or whatever whatever's going to happen to them right Okay. And is there, for example, like a set amount of time uh, that you get a child for? Or as you said, it's more, it really depends on the situation. I mean, look, kids can come to us for lots and lots of different reasons. Some some could be just for a respite. Some, their current long-term carers might be having a week's holiday and they uh, they come to you for a week or a, a weekend or a week or a fortnight. And they might just be mm. um, just with you for a couple of, couple of, couple of nights. You might end up with an emergency placement. So a child has been taken into care um, uh, that afternoon and then they arrive at your house. They've just been taken away from their home and they are brought to you and they might be with you for a a few days until a a permanent placement is found for them or it might take a few weeks to get them that permanent placement. You could have children come to you on what they call a short term basis. In other words, that's that next step on from arriving and then they come somewhere and they could be with you for a few weeks, a few months. And sometimes short terms turn into about two or three years, which is wrong, but that's what does happen. Mm. And and then sometimes a short-term placement could be turned into a long-term placement, which is what has happened with, with the two kids that we've got at the moment. They were, they were both short-term to begin with. And then after a period of time with us, the, the authorities were um, keen to give them stability and said, well, would you like to have them for, for a long term? And, you know, after the work and effort um, that we, we, we'd all put in together, you know, both ways, mm-hmm. everybody sort of said, yeah, we'd like that. So uh, you could have long term. You could have parent and child fostering. So you could end up with a young couple with a baby and who need to come and need a home and need somewhere to stay for a little while. Uh, mm. While you while you support them and, and and keep an eye on them to make sure that they're doing really really well with their little baby, you might end up with a single mom with a baby. You might end up with a 29 year old woman with a baby. There's all different types of fostering, and and they they come from all walks of life, all different ages. Um, you know, at the moment, eight year old and 15 year old. I, I might say 14. She only had a birthday three days ago, so I might keep saying 14. <laughs> but she's, but 
you know, if, if you if you've got, we do have another room, but it's not. It's sort of available, but isn't. And 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 when that room opens up, we could end up with we could end up with a two year old walking in. Um, yeah. And we could end up with a we could end up with a seventeen year old walking in. We could end up with three siblings who were three, four, and five walking in um, mm-hmm. for for a short term placement or a bit of respite or whatever. Who knows? It depends on those children that are taken into care. And unfortunately, we're seeing record numbers of children being taken into care at, at this yeah. present time with not enough mm. foster carers. Yes. No, that, that's very interesting. I understand a lot more. So how did you get into fostering in the first place? What was the, the process? I've, I've got some kids from, from my previous relationship who are now, you know, now 18 and 16. So they're kind mm. of growing up and are a couple of teenagers who hate the world and just, you know, they're figuring themselves out and they're great. And they're <laughs> but they, they hate everybody as, as all teenagers do. And they come and stay quite frequently. And so my wife and I, my wife doesn't have any children. And so my kids come and they go and, they go, and, they're, and they're over sort of every week and and uh, and it was great and and then my wife a few years ago said, you know, I, I, I quite can we have a look at fostering, and we were at that point both of us in our education careers of of, of wanting to get out, wanting to move on, and because it wasn't the education we weren't we're not educating kids how I want to see children being educated. It's becoming not a very nice system I don't think so but that aside um so cool was really interested in, in in fostering and I thought well yeah that's fine we've got the space we've got some room you know it would be it would be a, a a good thing to do as well because we've got all this we've got lots and lots of experience of dealing with children over over the last sort of 30 years and we thought it, it could be a really wonderful experience to try and do it so we made we made an initial inquiry with our local authority and we're given a very a very blunt and tick box response really there was no human empathy or understanding in it at all so we sort of we sort of said well i'm not going i'm not going with our local authority which is wolverhampton i'm not afraid to say it which is wolverhampton and which was very sad So we, we looked around for a, a, an independent fostering agency and one came available and they were doing a little sort of roadshow down the road. So we went and had a chat and then they came out and they had a good conversation with us. And then we were, and, and they were happy to take us forward. We, we were happy to, uh, after our initial questions were answered and see where we went. We went through, we then went through the process of getting our, what they call a, everybody has to go through a section F, which is like an initial assessment. And it takes, Mm-hmm. months and months and months it takes about nine months which is absolutely bonkers in this day and age it takes you know that amount of time for people from a sort of initial inquiry to become be, be in a position to be able to be allowed to have foster children you know it, it it's it, it they need to sort it out and get the process speeded up you know yes the, the safety of the children is absolutely paramount but really nine months You know, and it can take longer. You know, it, I suppose there are aspects where it could be done quicker, but they need to get their act together and sort out that process. And until they got all the forms filled in, and then they, it went to panel, and the panel then, you know, asked asked us asked us some questions, and and we were we were accepted as a as, as foster carers back in right just over just over three and a bit years ago. Hmm. Right. So you have a list of criteria that you need to meet in order to become I mean yeah. be able to be okay 
Oh yeah. Can you share some of the of the requirements? When you go through this section F procedure, in, in all honesty, you have to put you have to put your hand on your heart and be unbelievably transparent and honest. Now, we all live a rich tapestry of life. There are things that have happened in my life that I'm not particularly proud of. And we all have those things that are uh, are not joyful from our from our histories, but you have to mm-hmm. be honest about them because they they have to check and they have to make sure that that is not going to interfere or be part of your life now. Um, yeah. you know, full criminal records checks, everything is done into you. So my advice to anybody who thinks they want to become a foster carer, when you're going through that section of be honest, just be honest, you know, and, and there are things that, the guy who did it, the independent social worker who did our section of a lovely guy called Mike, he knows, he knows more about me than my, than my dad does. Uh, my mum <laughs> died 20 years ago, but she, he knows a lot more about me. There's only, there's only my wife really that knows it. <laughs> all, all my little secrets, my wife knows them all, but um, Mike knows them and that's it. You know, my brother doesn't, my dad doesn't. And, and, and the thing is, you've got to be honest. You have to be, truly transparent, really open, really transparent with, with the whole process. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if you lie, you'll get caught. That's life, isn't it? If you lie, you, you do get caught. So. And we all have our little things, you know, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, don't get me wrong, it's nothing I'm ashamed of. It's just life, yeah. you know, it's just life. And we all have a, a rich tapestry of life that we've put together and and and, and things. And, and you know, it, it's a very invasive process. And there were a lot of tears. And there was a lot of, you had to work through things. I had to work through some things that were very painful for me. Mm-hmm. Very painful. And But you have to be honest about it. You have to get them out there. So that when, you know, they, we are, the people who are checking on you are making sure that they are putting the, the state's children in your hands. They in there. Yeah. So they have to know that you're all right. You know, they have to know yeah. that you're not on the, you, you know, you're not, a, a drug addict who's putting 15 bottles of whiskey down your throat every night and you know out fighting you know, left and right and beating up kids left and right do you know what I mean they have to yeah. know yeah you know now don't get me wrong you know you know people have got you know mental health issues and things like that and it doesn't stop you becoming a foster carer as long as you're managing things and you're doing all right mm-hmm. if you're in that position of course you can be a foster carer you know it's not to say that you can't you can but it's about being honest and transparent about it and, uh, and, and working through that process. And it does take a long time. It takes too long, but it, it does take a long time. So it's yeah. very invasive, very intrusive. You have to be ready for that, to talk about everything in your life. But if, you, if, you, if you're willing to do that, then if you've nothing to hide, then you know, you, you, there is no reason why you can't come through that process and, and, and become foster carers. Mm. Yes, and I think that's a, a recurring theme on how you need to really take care of yourself first before you're able to help someone else. Yeah. Um, and again, with past trauma or, you know, you never know what could be a trigger mm-hmm. and then it could get very messy. So I guess it's also good that they do these kind of checks for yeah. sure, because as most of the kids have been through a lot before they, they get, how do you say, assigned, somewhere yeah. or like place somewhere so it's a bit like they don't they don't need to go through more if they no, I mean, ever, I mean, yeah. when, a, when a child comes into care you hope that the placement team isn't that a horrible word a placement this isn't a, yeah. placement, it's a home 
it's a home. I mm -hmm. hate my house being called a placement. It's wrong. Yeah. It's not it's a home. And and the language around, uh, we could talk about that. The language around fostering yeah. is wrong. You know, they're a looked after child. They're a lacked child. Mm -hmm. They're not lacking. They're not like, they're not looking, you know, they're not a child looked after either. You know, they're, they're, they're foster kids. It's not right. Anyway, uh, I digress. No, no, that's very interesting, actually. Yeah, the placements, you know, and we'll stick with the terminology that they've currently got. The, you know, what you hope is that when a placement comes along, they, they put a lot of emphasis on the correct match and making mm. sure that the, the, the home that they are going to go to is going to be suitable for them. Because the yeah. last thing that anybody wants is for a child to go to a placement uh, and it fail and it goes mm -hmm. horribly wrong because then that's a bad experience, another bad experience for the child. And it's a bad experience for the carers as well. So nobody wants that. And I think that there are instances, and, and this is perhaps a little bit controversial, where the pressure that is put on local authorities to find a placement means that that means that it's just get them into a placement and that care, that duty of care isn't, you know, they would obviously say, no, that's absolute rubbish. We put the, that first, but they get that pressure. I'm sorry. They get the pressure to local authorities to get kids placed. And sometimes they do not, they don't place them right. And it mm -hmm. does go wrong because they need to tick that box that says, yeah, we've got all our children placed. And, yeah. you know, and, and they've got to be careful with that. And, you know, from a, you know, and, and when a local authority have no spaces and have no rooms and they turn to independent fostering agencies, do IFAs worry about that placement being the right match as much as they should do because they know that's how they run their business and make money? There's, mm. this, there's, there's this dichotomy, really, of, of, of getting the kids into the right home, but obviously they've, they're running the business. They've got to make money, you know, and, and the money comes through the placements. So it's it's a real double-edged sword. It's a very dangerous and, and tricky game. I get very annoyed when I see, you know, big private equity firms, you know, making billions, billions of pounds out of vulnerable children every year. And yeah. frankly, I think frankly, I think it's immoral. I think it's of course. I think it's immoral. These kid these kids have been through all this, and yet what they're seen as is 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 something to profit from, and 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 it's and it's wrong. However, that's a bigger argument. That's the system. And that and that's what you know. Hopefully, Mr. McAllister and his review can can alter and do something about. But yeah, the, the placements have got to be right, and the match has got to be right. And if people do their job right and focus on that, and local authorities give the right information so that the placements can be done right and give enough information, because you do find, in my experience, they hold information back because they want that child placed. Yeah. And, you know, and it, and it's wrong, and and then they could, the local authority can say, yeah, we've got it, we've got a child placed, and there's absolute chaos going on in that kid's life because the match with the foster carers hasn't been right. Mm. So, you know, the, the thing to remember as a foster carer is always that you can turn around and say no when you're offered a child, children, siblings, whatever is is offered. You can say no. There is mm -hmm. no obligation on you to say you've got to have these kids. It's it's it, it is. You know, you do have the choice to walk away and say, no, thank you. You know, not this one. This one's not going to work for us. And Cole and I very much take that attitude that we say, OK, if a child is going to come into our home, it's got to work for me. It's got to work for my wife. It's got to work for the eight year old little boy. It's got to work for the 15 year old girl. It's got to work for my 18 year old son and a 16 year old daughter. And it's got to work for my dog. 
because <laughs> and we've learned this because lots of these children who have got traumas and uh, and they've been through lots of neglect and abuse take it out on animals and my dog has suffered because of it in the past oh yeah so you learn these little tricks as you go along and it's and and, and you sort of think to yourself you know a 17 year old boy if we were if, if if we were offered there's a 17 year old boy who's just come into care but he's he's very sexually active and very sexually aggressive would i want him in this house with my 16 and year old daughter and my 15 year old foster daughter it's like not a chance no he ain't coming in here so yeah you know that there, there are there there are rules you know and there are sort of common sense and you would hope that our social worker would look at it before you look at it and go, no, that's not a good placement for Phil and Cull, you know, and, and then it goes through that filtering process before it reaches me and Cull. And then we go, well, we've got this question. We've got that question because we've got, you know, one of our children is, is very much of an ambivalent disorganized attachment type. Mm -hmm. And the other type is very much uh, an avoidant. She's an, you know, she's an avoidant. Uh, and her, yeah. her attachment type so whoever comes in how are they going to fit into the dynamic of the house because obviously we've got a you know touch wood we've got a happy household and that's running very well at the moment and we don't want somebody coming in and turning everything upside down of course but so this is more about the selection process and then comes preparing to welcome someone into your home how do you do that how do you prepare <laughs> um well, when we know they're coming, usually if, if, if we get the opportunity, we'll go and see them a few a, a couple of times before they actually arrive. And, mm -hmm. and, and then they get a chance to say hi. So it's not just turning up on a complete stranger's doorstep. Um, and, and for us, that's been, we've been able to do that. So, you know, that, and, and we found that that's useful because we're then, you know, we're then a friendly face who they know. If, they, if there was an emergency place and we said, well, can you take them tonight and just look after them? Then... You, you open as they arrive you open the door with a big beaming smile and say hi welcome it's lovely to have you come and stay in it's, it's lovely to have you come come and live with us come on get in here you know and just be and, and just make them feel really welcome and part of the family from the word go and help them settle in and make them feel welcome and 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 make sure that they've got everything that they need so that they can settle into your family home as soon as they possibly can yeah for sure yeah i guess also providing that sort of stability you know loving and caring oh, environment yeah i mean one of the things my wife insists on when children arrive is that she takes them up to their room and helps them unpack and, and makes them feel part of the family and then usually we try and time it before we're, we're having something to eat so that we can all have a chat and a sit down and a, and a conversation if they want to join us because we have a very strict not very strict but we have a, a very strong routine in our house Routines are incredibly important for these kids because they've never had mm -hmm. routine. They've never had structure. They've never had routine. So we have routine in this house down into sort of what time you're getting up, what time you're eating breakfast, what time you're eating tea, what time you know, you're having a bath, what time, and everything is structured. And we do that because it keeps the kids safe. They know where they are. Yeah. They, know where, they know where they fit in. And when you get kids coming to you who are used to absolute chaos, the 14-year-old, had had no structure or stability in her life since about eight, nine years old and was based, not, not what you call feral, but had absolutely no idea about how to look after herself. So mm. we've, had, we've had to work very, very hard about, you know, simple things like if, you, if, if your clothes are dirty, you, you don't stuff them under the bottom of your wardrobe. Your clothes are dirty, they go in the washing basket and that's okay. You know, and, and we've had to physically show her how to do it. 
you know, on a number of occasions until it starts to stick. And then you, you big them up and you make them feel, you start to give them some self-respect. You start to give them some self-worth and self-value because they don't have any mm-hmm. self-value. I, I always, I always say not one child comes into this house want, wants to be here. And they don't. No, nobody who comes into our house wants to be here. They mm-hmm. want to be with their mum. They want to be with their dad. They want to be at home. They don't want to be with us. So we've got to make it work for them to show them that this is a nice place to be. And as you chip away, as, you, as you're that boringly consistent, once, you, once they know that they're safe, they feel valued, that they're important to you. They feel secure. They've got everything that they could possibly need. Slowly but surely, you break it down and they become more stable and they become loved and they feel loved and they find it very hard to deal with and they rebel against it because it's not they they don't think it's right they're used to chaos they're used to anger they're used to aggression they're not used to people getting on you know because they've all they've all brought these aces with them and traumas with them so you have to work through that and and keep a very calm calm and structured environment and so if you, if you do that consistently over time using a very therapeutic trying to use a very therapeutic approach and understanding where they're coming from and and it's hard to work <laughs> Um, yeah. but you, what you end up with are calm regulated kids down the road down the line and it takes and, it, and you ain't going to solve you know for example with our eight year old you're not going to solve six years of abuse in six months you're not it takes years so you have to have resilience you have to have that determination to see it through with these children particularly if they're going to stay with you long term mm. because you are effectively accepting responsibility for their upbringing up until the the time they're 18 and start making those critical life decisions right and i feel like maybe now you're better equipped to face all of that because you've you've had experience but do you think you know at the beginning it was harder than now to understand the pattern of yeah uh, um i was lucky my wife and i were lucky we had a background in education I'm a for, she's a former teacher, I'm a former head teacher. Mm-hmm. So we, I've, I've, I've dealt with many child protection issues over the course of my career, as has my wife. She's dealt with some very difficult children in her classroom environment as well. So we, we have a certain amount of professional knowledge about trauma and about attachment. Not that that plays a blind bit of notice in the education system, because it doesn't. It's all about behaviorism and, and reward and punishment. Is, is mm-hmm. education schools. That's all that they're particularly bothered about. I, I, I think that there is the beginning of a movement at grassroots level, certainly not from government, about understanding trauma and attachment a lot more. Um, and because we, I, I run my schools in a very, from a very nurturing perspective, I've got a good understanding. My wife had a good understanding. So now we've been doing this for about three years. We, we could get by at the beginning and now we understand it a lot better having gone through a lot of training which was bespoke for us and mm-hmm. we we begged and scrounged to go on some therapeutic parenting courses which have lasted you know which has taken 18 19 weeks they're a fair commitment but they they were certainly worth it to help you in the understanding and 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 and, and how to respond to children who were having difficulties so right. um, yeah i understand it a lot better uh, which enables me to respond a lot better now Mm. yeah that makes sense that makes sense because they're all so different and yeah I mean 
It's very adm admirable what you, you do. I think it's very interesting and you must learn a lot from them as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it makes me look back and think, you know, how little I actually knew when I was a teacher <laughs> uh, and when I was uh, thinking about what these children go through. You know, some of the, some of the things that we, we had a, we did a little respite for a, a four, five and six year old for just a couple of weeks. And, you know, when we were talking to the carers, the four-year-old, when they came into care, he'd got 92 bites and bruises and burns on him when, when, mm. he, arrived, when he arrived with them that night. And, you know, the, the, the carer, the, the, the mum couldn't, couldn't bat him because he was in such a, a terrible state. And these, these kids go through so much, not just physically, but emotionally and, and, yeah. um, and socially. Um, and they find they find all these aspects of life so very very difficult because they just they've been neglected and, and no 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 social worker ever wants to take a child away from their parents but the chronic and it is chronic the chronic neglect that they go through is it, it's heartbreaking but mm. you you have to accept that's happened that's where they are what what has happened helps you to understand where they are and so consequently then how we can respond to them right we've had a child who, who who couldn't have a red lamp in her room now we we were lucky because she could say that she could verbalize that uh, and said my, my bedroom's not got a red lamp in it has it because that was a trigger from uh, you know from sexual abuse in the past so mm -hmm. you know if she saw a red lamp she'd freak yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's, you know, but we, as they say, we were lucky because she'd, she'd verbalised it and we all knew. So it was easy to handle. The, the yeah. ones that are tricky are the ones that they obviously can't verbalise and they just, they go into their, um, in, into their shell because they're, they're frightened, they're scared. Yeah. And sometimes it even takes years to identify yeah. a certain trigger. Oh. So it's amazing that she already knew her trigger. Well, with respect, Julie, there are things that happened to me, you know, a long time ago. I still still process those things now you know mm. and you know and i had a i was very lucky because i had a very secure upbringing you know i, yeah. had, a very, I had a very loving home where i was brought up and and, and it was very secure and and it was a, and it was a terrific childhood and so i could I, i'm i'm lucky because i was there my wife didn't have a good, good upbringing she had a very dysfunctional upbringing um and so she can empathize with these kids in a lot of ways and that helps helps mm. her to, helps her to understand with where these kids have come from so uh, I'm not saying I can't, but mine's more through the professional route, whereas she can empathise on a lot more of a personal level with them than I can because my upbringing was lovely. <laughs> uh, and that's why you also make a good team. Yeah, and that's it. Yeah, there are things that Cole handles very, very well. And there are things that, that she handles better than I do. And there are things, uh, as you say, I handle better than she so, you know, we work, we work together on that. And, and you know, it, it started off primarily with my wife wanting to do this. And I was still a head teacher at the time. And it really grabbed my, I, I, I loved it. I really enjoyed the fact of coming home and the kids were there and working with, with them and working through things with them. And, and so we were fortunate that we were at a point in life where bills were paid and we were pretty secure financially so we i said right i'm not I'm, I'm, i've lost faith with the education system i want out um, and so we both became full-time foster carers at that point mm. no this is great and so you mentioned earlier the review of mr McAllister. 
would you be able to tell us a bit about it and what you understood from it and why, for example, it's giving well, you hope? Well, he's got this opportunity, hasn't he? It's to, to look at the whole social care review system. You know, th th there are caveats in his contract that says, oh, there's no more money. And, and you know, you know, everybody's going to scream from the rooftop that there needs to be more money in the system. And, you know, cuts for 10 years have hurt. There's no doubt about that. And I feel for social workers, they are ridiculously overworked, particularly in the mm. local authorities. They're, it's ridiculous. However, and I'm going to say this as a, as a head teacher who used to turn around failing schools, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't take more money to turn around failing schools. It takes a change in the system. To, yes. turn around, to turn around failing schools. I'm, I was always a great believer in the work of a guy called W. Edwards Deming, who was a statistician who basically Japan turned to after the Second World War to rebuild their country. And you know how efficient Japanese manufacturing and industry and their society is. It's incredibly efficient. If they get a pothole in the road or a, or a bridge falls down, it's fixed within minutes and then they carry on. Whereas it'd take us nine months here to have an health and safety meeting with 26 people, block the road, sort a diversion out and take them three months to fix it. Mm. And, and, and Deming's work was all based around systems. And he said that four out of five times when things go wrong, it's the system that's at fault. It's not the person. The person's trying that. But sometimes it's the person because we're human. But the problem with Western attitudes is that we always look to blame. We look to blame people. We don't look at why it's gone wrong and his analysis was very much about systemic problems and there are innumerable systemic problems for Mr McAllister to get his head around I think that if he can if he can do it right and change the systems then there is a real opportunity here to release an enormous amount of great social workers into the community rather than them spending the majority of their time filling in forms there is an opportunity to empower foster, uh, foster carers and social workers and the, the teams around these children to give much better quality of care and support. Here's a, here's a very simple example. Um, we're in Wolverhampton, but we're with an independent fostering agency. If we had an empty room, yeah, Wolverhampton would, and Wolverhampton had a child that needs placing. Wolverhampton would not use us. They would automatically go to their Wolverhampton carers. If there was, a, and we could be round the corner from that child's school in a better place, in a better environment with a better setup, but they would move that child into a Wolverhampton local authority foster carers home, which could be seven miles away on the other side of town for the simple fact that they were with the local authority and we were with an IFA. Do you understand? Oh, yeah, it should be a level playing field, but it's not right. And they don't do it and they never have. That's a really, really simple example of how silly the system can be, because they would argue, oh, that the, the IFA would cost more money. OK, so it's all about cost. Now, the issue is there should be a level playing field. This is not about cost. This is about children. So we have they have to look at the system and change the system. It's like, if, if, for example, if as a foster carer, I'm with a particular independent fostering agency, if I want to move 
to let's say I move house and you know I want to then join the local authority in a different Shropshire, for example, mm-hmm. different county. Um, I can't I can't just become a foster carer for Shropshire. All that work that has been done for that I for that section F and everything like that has to be done again if I'm really yeah. yeah. It's absolutely oh. and so forget forget it for months. I'm I'm off the radar as a foster carer. It's absolutely bonkers. There should be a national register of foster carers. And so once you've been through this process, it's it's easy to transfer. It's like if you're a teacher in one school, you can't move to another school until you've retrained to be a teacher. Yeah, because that, that makes it very complicated. And yeah. that could be one of the reasons why many families don't do it, because yeah. if they want to move somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, so the whole system is set up. It's bonkers. As a foster carer, I'm, I'm not employed. I have no employment rights. You must remember that. You don't get a wage, you get an allowance. I don't have any employment rights. I don't have any sick pay. You know, I mean, I'm allowed two weeks of respite every year. I work seven days a week from the moment I wake up, usually till the moment I go to bed. It ain't glamorous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I thought I worked hard as a head teacher, <laughs> but I have no employment rights. It's not a job. You know, you are self-employed for tax purposes. And there is a, ta- there is a, a very generous tax allowance you know, for looking after the state's children. And you would hope that the state, you know, would look after us that way. And and there is a, a generous tax allowance, you know, for, for the children that you look after. So basically what you're given as allowance, you get to keep really, you, you pay very, very little tax on what you earn. No, I shouldn't mm-hmm. say earn, that implies that it's a job, you know, on your allowance. So the, the, it's it very much runs in swings and roundabouts, you know. Right. Um, and and there are very good aspects. There are some good, there are some very good aspects to the care system, but there are also aspects to the care system that absolutely need a radical overhaul. And I would love to see social workers not filling in forms, but actually supporting the kids that they're trying to support. Yeah, we've got a crisis in this area with more and more kids coming in, less, more and more foster carers moving, quitting, and leaving. Because you know, I'm I'm very lucky at the moment. We I've not been subject to an allegation but if a 15 year old girl came went into school today and said and, and made an allegation about me then that would be it the children would be taken out of the house i'd have no recourse until an investigation had taken place i have no rights i have no protections mm. so it, it, you know you, you've got to take these things on board this is the real world it's not all glamour and lovely and wonderful yes you are making a fundamental difference to children's life but there is a real practicality that you have to you know, don't just do this with your heart. Do it with your head as well. Be practical yeah. and think it through, you know, and, and make sure that you, you know, that you practice, you know, things in, in, in the right way. You know, but if you, if you set up structures and routines within your house, then there, there should, there's no issues. There's no problems. But Mr. McAllister has an opportunity. They will scream for more money, but they're not going to get it. So that they, so the big worry is they need to change their system. And I, and I fear because I've, I've worked with local authorities for 30 years. Local authorities do not change systems. They do not like to change systems. They mm. find it so very, very difficult. So I, I, I look forward to Mr. McAllister's you know, recommendations. And, I, and, and, and when they come through, I hope, I truly hope that they make it statute. They take it to Parliament and they say, it is law. You have to do it. Because yeah. if they don't, if they just leave it as recommendations... Then nothing's going to change. No, yeah. And there have been a number of recommendations and, and reviews in the past where they've been left as recommendations. 
and nobody's done anything. You know, mm. nobody has done anything, and it will stay that way. And and it will be well, you're not going to solve anything. And we have to solve this problem, this crisis for our most vulnerable children who have been through the most difficult things uh, imaginable. And mm-hmm. we, you know, if we if we can't help them, who who can we help? Yeah, you know, it reminds me that at uni I studied there was this course called change management, mm-hmm. and I truly think that this should be applied in more different settings, including yeah, the government and so on, because. It's actually very simple, yeah. But it's like it's everything; it's just common knowledge, and you have to identify who is going to be a block, like someone who's going to completely go against it and put all their energy to try to delay or whatever, and who is going to be able to drive the change and follow. So, no, this is very important, and I think they should have these type of trainings in in these organizations as well. Yeah. I mean, when you're flipping a school, it's all it's all about trust. It's all about trust and empowerment. And yeah. and I, as a as a head teacher, I my my philosophy was very much that the teachers are the most important people. Oh, I was always second to them. My job was to help them do their job. I didn't tell them how to teach. They're the teachers. My mm-hmm. job was to help them teach the best that they could, and it was to trust them that they were going to do the best by their children. All I can say is, that, you know. Schools celebrate when it goes from inadequate to good in three years. I did it in 15 months because you, because I trusted people and I gave them the tools to be able to do it without without fear of failure. And if and if something went wrong, I we we talked about it, celeb- not celebrated it, but we we certainly learned from what went wrong and then we did it again and then mm. we did it again and then we did it again and then suddenly you find that they get it right and teachers aren't scared, teachers aren't frightened to get off. Timetable. It's the same with the foster care system. We need to empower social workers instead of them being so damn terrified about, no, you can't do that for child protection or safeguarding reasons. It's like, no, you have to stop this. You have to stop being so scared. Because in education, that fear is paramount. Fear runs through everything. And it's the same yeah. in the social, social care system. We have to get this fear of, of a problem um, and, and trust the social workers and the people on the front line and trust foster carers, frankly. I spend. I I've I've been in so many meetings where, as a foster carer, I have been ignored, and I know that child better than anybody. I live with them twenty four seven. I know them better mm. than anybody, and I have been ignored for about forty five minutes. And then I turn around and say, "I'm a former head teacher," and the whole attitude in those meetings completely changes. Foster carers are mouthed at as being, "Oh, you are our equal, our professional." You're a professional and you're our equal, but you are not. You, you you are not treated that way. You are seen as somebody to just shut up, pay attention, and will let us do our job. Mm. But the- so I, I imagine that you have meetings regularly with, for example, the local authority, and the kids must have some as well. So how how often does it happen? Our own eye for look, you know, pops in on us every fortnight to have a chat and just make sure that we're okay. But they're always on the end of the phone. The local authority come out every sort of six weeks, you know, COVID aside, they come out and see the kids every six weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, we have regular meetings, obviously, for, you know, if there's reviews and there's the independent reviewing officers who come along every six months, there's the, there's the PEPs, there's the other meetings that we have to attend in terms of school, in terms of all the medical sort of stuff has to be done via local authorities and uh, and everything else so there's usually something dripping in once twice every 
you know, we, we, we try and organize it so we have a blitz week where we get loads and loads done in one week. And then it tends to be a bit quieter for the, the, the next few weeks after that. So it's just when the kids are in school, that's when we get our downtime to do all the household chores and run around and catch up with each other. Yeah. You know, because by three o'clock, you're picking them up, taking them to this club, taking them to that club, doing this, doing that, get tea, get them fed, get them, you know, putting them in bed. And it's all full on in the evening, isn't it? It's raising kids. Yeah, it's a big family. Yeah. Mm, that's very interesting. And so is there any advice or last advice that you'd like to share? I, I think I'd like, probably reiterate what I said before in that this is an incredibly rewarding thing. And it, it, it makes a world of difference to these children and it will change your life as well. And, it's so, and, it, and, it, and it really is worth doing. You know, the financial rewards are there, you know, but don't cost it out to an hourly rate because you'll be, you'll, you're earning about 60p an hour if you work it out like that. Hmm. But, you know, go into it with your eyes open that these, these kids can turn around and, and you know, you, I, I've had instances where I've had, I've had furniture thrown at me. I've had some very difficult situations to deal with. So go into it with your eyes open. But I've also had that little, I've also had that boy crying in my arms saying, I'm so sorry, I can't help it. And you know, yeah. you know what? He, they can't help it because it's not them. It's their traumas. It's mm. the things that have happened to them. So they're trying to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said when we, we, we first sort of met, it's, it's very much a double edged sword. There's an incredibly positive side to these things where you change, you literally do change the life of, of a child. And, and Josh Shipp, a famous, uh, quite a famous sort of TEDx speaker, he was a foster child. And he said, every child is just one caring adult away from success. And, yeah. and, and that's it. They're just one caring adult. And we, we aim to be that caring adult. And if you do it, and if you're prepared to be resilient, if you're prepared to have that grit and determination and not give up on them because they've been through so much, their defense mechanism is, is to get rid of everybody. That's how they survive. If you can see that through, if you can get through that, then, then you are going to change their lives and you will change, you will smash the generational things because these tend to be generational. Yeah. You will smash sure. the generational cycle of abuse. And then from years on, as they grow up and they meet people and they have their kids, the cycle is broken and then those kids will go on. And so as time goes on, you will have affected dozens of people and hundreds as the, as the centuries pass by. Because yeah, you, the ripple effect is just endless. Yeah, because you stepped in and you saved that child. And so, you know, those are the rewards. Those are the reasons that you do it. And when you see a child who's having it incredibly hard and over time, they get better and better and better. And, you know, they do things right and they and they become loving, caring kids. They've still got it in them because you don't, you know, it never leaves them. But they, they then live a happy and structured and ordered life and a loved life. You know, then that's what it's, that's why you do it. It's, it's hard, but like all the best things in life, you know, how many people turn around and say raising kids is the hardest thing you ever do in your life, but it's the best thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. And these are the hardest of hardest kids. <laughs> so <laughs> when you get it right, it's the, it is, you know, the, you know, the hardest of the hardest kids becomes the best of the best reason for doing it. But go into it with your eyes open, do your research, check on, you know, uh, on, on the support that you're going to get, check on the training that you're going to get, make sure that, know that the system that you're entering isn't a good one. 
and, and hope that it improves in the future. But educate yourself about what you're getting involved in, because if you don't educate yourself about about this process, then you're, well, you're a fool, aren't you? You're walking in blind to something that you're going to be doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So learn, read, get your head around what's going on as well. So it's, it's very hard, but it's also very head as well. Mm, it's very powerful. Thank you so, so much for sharing, Phil. And thank you for giving me also a better idea of what it takes, what it's really like, the process and so on. It's super interesting and yeah. Absolutely, well. <laughs> Absolutely my pleasure. I, I hope. I hope you've learned something from my from my of course simple experiences. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's incredible, and thank you for doing what you do. No, not at all. It is a joy. It's it's hard work, but it's a joy. It really is. And then I turn around and say, I'm a former head teacher. And the whole attitude in, the off, in, in, in those meetings completely changes. Which is, uh, oh yeah, very... Foster carers are supposed to, they are mouthed at as being, oh, you are our equal, our professional. You're a professional and you're our equal, but you are not. You, you, you are not treated that way. You are seen as somebody to just shut up, pay attention and will let us do our job. Mm. But so I, I imagine that you have meetings regularly with, for example, the local authority and the kids must have some as well. So how how often does it happen? Well, we our own eye for look, you know, pops in on us every fortnight to have a chat and just make sure that we're OK. But they're always on the end of the phone. The local authority come out every sort of six weeks, you know, COVID aside. They come out and see the kids every six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, we have regular meetings, obviously, for, you know, if there's reviews and there's the independent reviewing officers who come along every six months. There's the there's the PEPs. There's the other meetings that we have to attend um, in terms of school, in terms of all the medical sort of stuff has to be done um, by our local authorities and, uh, and everything else. So there's usually something dripping in once, twice every, you know, we, we, we try and organise it so we have a blitz week where we get loads and loads done in one week. And then it tends to be a bit quieter for the, the, the next few weeks after that. So it's just when the kids are in school, that's when we get our downtime to do all the household chores and run around and catch up with each other, yeah. you know, because by three o'clock you're picking them up, taking them to this club, taking them to that club, doing this, doing that, get tea, get them fed, get them, you know, putting them in bed. And it's all full on in the evening, isn't it? It's raising kids. Yeah. It's a big family. Yeah. Hmm. That's very interesting. And so is there any advice or last advice that you'd like to share? I, I think I'd like probably reiterate what I said before in that this is an incredibly rewarding thing and it, it, it makes a world of difference to these children and it will change your life as well. And, it's so, and, it, and, it, and it really is worth doing. Um, you know, the financial rewards are there, you know, um, but don't, cost it out to an hourly rate because you'll be you'll, you're earning about 60p an hour if you work it out like that hmm. but you know 
go into it with your eyes open that these these kids can turn around and and you know you, I, I've had instances where I've had I've had furniture thrown at me I've had some very difficult situations to deal with so go into it with your eyes open but I've also had that little I've also had that boy crying in my arms saying I'm so sorry I can't help it and you know and you know what he, they can't help it because it's not them it's their traumas it's mm. the things that have happened to them so they're trying to learn yeah yeah i, I said when we, we we first sort of met it's it's very much a double-edged sword there's an incredibly positive side to these things where you change you literally do change the life of, of a child and and josh ship a famous uh, quite a famous sort of tedx speaker um he was a foster child and he said every child is just one caring adult away from success and yeah. And, and that's it. They're just one caring adult. And we, we aim to be that caring adult. And if you do it, and if you're prepared to be resilient, if you're prepared to have that grit and determination and not give up on them, because they've been through so much, their defense mechanism is, is to get rid of everybody. That's how they survive. If you can see that through, if you can get through that, then, then you are going to change their lives and you will change you will you will smash the generational things because these tend to be generational. Yeah, you will for sure. smash the generational cycle of abuse, and then from years on, as they grow up and they meet people and they have their kids, the cycle is broken, and then those kids will go on. And so, as time goes on, you will have affected dozens of people and hundreds as the as the centuries pass by, because yeah, you, the ripple effect is just endless. Yeah, because you stepped in and you saved that child. And so, you know, those are the rewards. Those are the reasons that you do it. And when you see a child who's having it incredibly hard and over time, they get better and better and better. And, you know, they do things right and they, and they become loving, caring kids. They've still got it in them because you don't, you know, it never leaves them. But they, they then live a happy and structured and ordered life and a loved life. You know, they, then, then, then that's what it's, that's why you do it. It's it's hard, but like all the best things in life, you know, how many people turn around and say raising kids is the hardest thing you ever do in your life, but it's the best thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. And these are the hardest of hardest kids. <laughs> so <laughs> when you get it right, it's the, it is, you know, the, you know, the hardest of the hardest kids becomes the best of the best reason for doing it. Um, but go into it with your eyes open, do your research, check on, you know, uh, on, on the support that you're going to get, check on the training that you're going to get, make sure that, know that the system that you're entering isn't a good one and, and hope that it improves in the future. But educate yourself about what you're getting involved in because if you don't educate yourself about about this process, then you, well, you're a fool, aren't you? You're walking in blind to something that you're going to be doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So learn, read, get your head around what's going on as well. So it's it's very hard but it's also very head as well. Mm, it's very powerful. Thank you so, so much for, for sharing, Phil. And thank you for giving me also a better idea of what it takes, what it's really like, the process and so on. It's super interesting. And yeah. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely my pleasure. I, ho I hope, I hope you've learned something from my from my of course simple experiences. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's incredible, and thank you for doing what you do. No, not at all. It's it, it is a joy. It's it's hard work, but it's a joy. It really is.
Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.